And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, man of God. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13. So glad that you're here this morning. Last week we went through this and we applied it to our lives by having times of prayer. Uh, today we're going to go through it more on the side of the lessons, and then we're going to get to the last part that we didn't get a chance to uh, last week. Hebrews chapter 13 is the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. We're doing a sermon series on this book. First service is on the church, so please check out our podcast or YouTube so that you can get the fullness of what we're offering. I got bored as a pastor preaching the same message twice, so I started doing two messages on Sunday. That's just what I'm doing, okay? I'm nothing special. I'm just a guy who loves Jesus, who loves to talk a lot and study the Word of God, get three services, three sermons. I don't even think, just to be honest with you, it would be a challenge till we reach about five, and then I just think I would be doing what a normal public school teacher does. Don't, don't many of you guys teach like five classes or something a day? I mean, I think pastors, we get off easy, but pray for us because we are praying for you, and we need to keep our lives on tact and, you know, in, in order, but uh, when it comes to preaching, this is honestly, this is the easiest thing I do. Does anybody have an easy part of their job that they just love? It's like, I just can't wait to do that part. This is what I love to do. Marriage counseling probably is like the least favorite thing I like to do. Uh, teenager counseling right above that. So I'd rather deal with teenagers. This is a little pastor talk right now. I'd rather deal with teenagers than married couples. That's just between you and I. And then somewhere in the middle is like, you know, just doing pastor stuff. People ask questions, do things like online like that, that. But I would say like, uh, be ready for leadership questions and stuff, organization. But I would say at the top is Sunday preaching, and then right after Sunday preaching is one-on-one -on -one discipleship. So that's why so often you guys will find me like hone into you after a service, and don't be jelly if I can't do it for everybody. Uh, somebody just wrote us the other day, if you're here today, we love you, but they said, I came to church and pastor didn't say hi to me. Please don't be so petty. We love you, and I know somebody said hi to you, okay? We're not going to be good friends if you start off so petty. Just relax, okay? I'm not Jesus. Jesus is with you, and someone said hi to you. But here's the deal. I, I've been in the habit of saying, hi to everybody as often as I can, inviting you to my house, making you feel awkward when, you know, you don't come and I invite you two or three times, whatever. It's just how I am. And then the church grew and now, uh, you know, we have life groups, but I still like to do that. And so the whole idea is I would put preaching number one and then that number two. And I would like to know what yours are at another time. You can, uh, you know what, Nancy, uh, go log into my Joe Wyro Facebook page and put what are your favorite things to do at church? And let's see if anybody wants to play along with that today. So Hebrews chapter 13, that's why I do two messages. Enough about me. How many want the Word of God? Amen. Verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. This is the first part that we learned. It's going to be a bunch of uh, small things that we got to take in, not small in the sense of like how important they are, but this is small in context. It's just a, a little sentence there, and it summarizes what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to love one another, and if you remember last week, I said if you had any issues in the church, talk to brothers and sisters about it, and if you need help loving and forgiving, let us pray for you, and of course, those altars will be open today to do that as well, but we actually did it last week in the middle of service. Hopefully, you enjoyed that. Uh, the next part, verse 2, it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I didn't have a chance to show you the passage, but let's go there, Genesis 18. 
This is based in the story of Abraham meeting God with two angels. It's a powerful passage, but the author of Hebrews just makes reference to it in passing, saying, hey, you guys better be nice to each other, invite each other to you know, your own homes, and, and be open and willing to do this, because you never know who's going to show up at your door. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Isn't that awesome? The Lord appeared to Abraham. Do you think he had to say, hold on, let me get my tent straight, because I haven't done laundry, I haven't picked up the clothes yet? Or... Do you think, or do you think he was ready? See, you got to be ready. Some people have even said to us in the church, Pastor, I don't think I can do home Bible studies because I keep a messy house. How about we fix the messy house? Let's do that, and then we'll pray again about Bible studies. But let's not use the excuse, messy house. You need to be ready to entertain people, okay? And the Bible teaches us that. And I know many of us come from cultures like the Italian culture. I'm half Italian, where inviting, you know, people over was one thing, but showing up unannounced was a whole nother thing, you know? And that's just the way it is. You just got to be ready. You got to have something always to pull out. And you know what? We've lost that now uh, with our technology and all of that. And I, I will be honest with you. I do prefer a heads up. I do, just between you and I. But I have to be ready. I really do. Why should we? we be so off-put by people uh, showing up? Now, you have to remember, there is a proverb that does say, do not show up to your neighbor's house too much, or they may begin to despise you, okay? So find the balance there, but we need to be Christian neighbors. So the Lord appeared to Abram while he was sitting at the uh, entrance. Uh, he appeared to him near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing uh, nearby. Now, some people People have argued about this thinking that this was the Trinity because we know Yahweh is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we know that the other two are not the Son, or excuse me, the Father and the Spirit. This is the Son, and I could show you that later how we know that whenever we're getting visitations, matter of fact, let us show you right now. How many would like to see how I know this is the Son? Okay, open up the other tab and put in John 118, please. How we know what we call Christophanies, uh, in general, they're called Theophanies. God shows up, okay? But we know that the theophanies of the Old Testament are Christ showing up because no one has ever seen the Father. That's not only in the New Testament, it's also in the Old Testament, but I'll show it to you here. Verse 18, no one has ever seen who? God, but the one and only who? Son, who is himself what? God and is in closest relationship with who? The Father has made him known. So watch this. Let's do some good exegesis here. Let's interpret the scripture. No one has ever seen God. But hold on, don't we just have a passage that we're looking at there? Just put it up, you know, the tab there, Genesis 18, so we can go back and forth there. Doesn't it say the Lord has appeared? Appearance means you can see. So the Lord was visible. You could see. But now go back to the John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. You have to keep going. You're now going to learn that there are two persons that bear the title of God, the divinity of God. There are two persons. One who we have seen is the Son. That's the one who makes him known. The other one, the Father, has never been seen. Does everybody see that? Okay, once again. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen Yahweh. Yahweh means the great I am, self-existing one. It's the divine title for the God of the Bible, okay? No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So how am I to interpret that? No one has ever seen God the Father. Does everybody get why we did that? 
There's no tricks here. Sometimes people, when they meet Trinitarians, they're like, you guys are just so philosophical. I don't, I don't get it. No, we're not philosophical. We're just being like normal here, okay? We haven't gotten to Socrates and Plato. We're literally just reading the English. If no one has ever seen God, but then right over here there's a person called the Son that is God, who we have seen, the one that we just heard about that we've never seen must be the Father. Unless you need him to repeat everything into intricate detail to where the Bible is the size of a phone book, okay? So it would be like this. No one has ever seen God the Father, but the Son, who is also God and has been in close relation with God the Father, has made him known. Like if you want all of those extra details, the Bible is going to keep getting longer and longer and longer. The idea is they're supposed to know the Father's God. How many believe Jewish people reading this understood the Father's God? Like it didn't need to say the Father being God right there. Like we all knew that. But who we did need to understand was God was the Son. That's what we did need to understand. Amen? Now where was he this whole time? Go up to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. There he was. He was with them in the beginning. Now going back to uh, Genesis, please. Uh, look at it. Genesis 18. The Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Abraham. So I know this is the Son. I know this is the one that is appearing. Somebody say, show me again. You may not be Polish, but you may be like me because I'm the other half is Polish. You might need it two or three times. Go to John 8. Just came to my heart here. This is good for somebody like me that's hard to, to get it the first time. Not only can I show you that this is Jesus in John chapter 1, I can show you in John chapter 8. Scroll all the way down. Before Abraham was, I am, and he rejoiced to see my day. It's going to be around, I believe, 31 or 51. Guessing off top here. Let's go. Oh, yeah, it's going to be closer to, yeah, go down. It's going to be closer to 51, I believe. Yep, keep going. Keep going down. It's, yeah, there we go. So it's 50, 58. There we go. Very truly, now watch this. Uh, let's go to verse 55. So it was around, go to 51. I know you were sticking there for a minute. Uh, the context starts in 52. I was close. Okay, so now I'll go to, uh, let's say it's 52. That's right here. At this, they, talking about the Jews, exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. How many know you're having a bad day with Jesus if you're calling him demon-possessed? Like, you really don't know who this guy is. Like, you're having a bad day with Jesus. I mean, you just need to back off, try again, you know, like try to, try to figure out what you're really trying to say here. But if you come to the conclusion Jesus is demon-possessed, you're missing the point here, okay? So this is how bad they're missing it. They exclaimed, now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say whoever obeys your word will never taste death. How many know in the prior verses, if he says you believe in me, you shall not die? How many know he's talking about eternal life? Everybody is going to either die twice or live twice. If you are born right now and you have flesh, you're living once, right? If you get born again, you get to live twice and only die once when this body dies, and then you live forever. But if you don't know Jesus, you're living now, your body dies, you go to hell, that's your second death. When he said, whoever believes in me will never die, he's not talking about your body not dying. He's talking about not experiencing the second death. Can I hear an amen to that? The Bible talked about that in the book of Daniel. It's a second death, and it's an eternal one, but you can have a second life. So you're either going to live twice or die twice. How many want to live twice and only die once? Amen. So he says, they, they, 
uh, they say to him, yet whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? They had Karens back in the Bible as well. Who do you think you are? Now look at what Jesus said. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I do not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw the day of Jesus. Oh, yeah, he did. You are not even 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am Jehovah. I am, I am. It's the name right there. He says, ego am I in the Greek. And at this, they understood he just claimed to be Jehovah, Yahweh. That uh, Jehovah is the German rendering of Yahweh from the Tetragrammaton, the four initials, uh, the four letters of God, Yohevahe, okay? At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. So you learned something. Going back now to Genesis 18. So the Lord appeared to Abraham. Who is that appearing to Abraham. Jesus, the, the Son of God, not the Father. No one's ever seen the Father. And I can show you this in Exodus 33, uh, that Moses is always hearing the voice of the Father. You remember when Jesus was baptized? He's there in the water, and then there's the voice of the Father, and there comes the dove in bodily form. You all remember that? When you go through the Old Testament, some, like Moses, get super close to God. And it says, let's just go there quickly. I know, we've been here before. Exodus chapter 33, because it's very good to always understand. It's can't talk about Jesus too much in church. How many love talking about Jesus? Like, oh, man, stop talking about Jesus. I see Jesus everywhere in the Bible. How many see Jesus in the Bible? Here's Jesus in Exodus. Go to Exodus uh, chapter 33, and let's go to verse 9-ish. Uh, right there, 11. I'm a little bit off today, amen? How many know a pastor could be a little bit off, but we'll get there eventually? I don't have the whole thing memorized yet, in other words, okay? Here, not too bad without having prepared any of this. And by the way, if you want to see the extent of your notes today for the today's sermon, here's your notes. Here's what we will be going through today. This is just a gift. Like I said, I love to preach. It's a gift. You know, Steve Harvey does what he does. This is what I do. And how many believe this is a little bit better because it's the Bible, amen? Hebrews told us, you better be ready to entertain people because you might have angels. Okay. We then looked at the time when I'm going to show you the other two are angels. It's not the Father and the Son because we've ruled out you can't see the Father. And though sometimes you see the Holy Spirit in a cloud or by a dove because we know at the baptism, we just are going to know in just a little bit that that for sure wasn't uh, the Holy Spirit either. Okay? But I want you to understand, when you're looking at the baptism, Father, Son, and Spirit, you see Jesus there in the flesh. And remember, when he comes in the flesh, that's not when he starts existing, like at his birthday. Okay? Did you start existing when you put on your clothes today or did you exist before your clothes? You existed before your clothes. When the space person goes to space and they put on the space outfit, is that when they start existing or did they exist before they put on the space suit? Before, right? Did Jesus start existing when he put on flesh or did he exist before the flesh? Before, because he puts on flesh. He comes to be with us. He is the God man, right? Now watch this. He's at his baptism, and while he is there, the Father is speaking, and then the Holy Spirit comes down. 
Moses is dealing with this all the time, which I can explain to you in other passages, but I'll do so briefly here, which is Moses is always interacting with Jesus, like how they were on the earth. They're seeing Jesus. He's seeing Jesus. He's also noticing the cloud, the glory of God, the kabod in Hebrew. He's noticing that God's presence is there and that even a voice will come from that cloud. He knows that. But then he starts to hear the Father or this other one speaking that's not the Spirit, and it's not the one that he sees. Then he begins to realize, I want to have a relationship closely with that one. And then this one is going to tell him, you cannot do that, otherwise you'll die. And that's going to be the fulfillment of John. Remember when John says, we've never seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship the Father has made him known, you're now going to understand why. But here, here's just a little clue to it in the Old Testament. The Lord would speak to Moses, How? Face to face. Everybody say face to face. Amen. Just look at it. Exodus 33, 11. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So Jesus literally would show up in this tent. He's talking to him face to face like Abraham did there at the trees of Mamre, and then he would go back and do his job. Now, scroll down a little bit here. So uh, it's going to be closer to like, I think, 20. Keep going. And here we go. Just, uh, yeah, right there. Did I get 20 this time? Yes. Now, I'll go to 19 so you can hear the context. Uh, go up just a little bit more because you're going to see uh, verse, let's go to 16. I think it's going to be that he asks, can I see you? Okay. Then Moses says, uh, go up just a little bit more. Go up just a little bit more. There we go. Go down. Where does he say no one can see my face and live? You go, but I want to see you. Where does he say this here? So it is 18, and then it starts there. Okay, let's go verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you ask because I'm pleased with, me, uh, pleased with you, and you will know me by my name. Verse 18. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim to you my name, the Lord in your presence. This is the name of Yahweh. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But here we go to verse 20. Thank you. He said, you cannot see my what? My face, for no one may see me and what? Live. Okay, now just hold it there. Verse 20 says you can't see his face. Now go back up to what was it, 13? 11. Look at verse 11. But Moses would meet with uh, God face to face. Do you see how people try to get you to say the Bible's contradicting itself? Now if you have in that tab, if you could please, one, John 1.18, here, here's the solution. Does everybody see the solution in John 1.18? No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, closest relationship to the Father, has made him known. So who is the one Moses meeting with face to face? Who is that? Jesus. Who is the one he can't see his face? There you go. Amen. Go back to John, uh, Genesis 18, rather. So we have three guests. We know one of them is the Son. Some people have tried to say it's the Father and the Spirit, the Trinity there. It's not. We can't see the Father, and the Spirit is not there. Now, go to 19, all the way down. Jesus begins to enter... Uh, Abraham intercedes with Jesus for Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the angels head down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're going to actually see it, Genesis 19, starting in verse 1. 19, verse 1, my brother. Thank you. The two what? Arrived at Sodom in the evening. You see? Now, just go up a little bit more, and you'll see where they left. Keep going. Well, verse 33 says the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham. So there's, there's the Lord, and then there's the two. There's the three, uh, the angels. You guys get it? 
Okay, but just go up a little bit more and you'll see how the Lord stays behind as the angels leave. Keep going up to the beginning of the intercession. Just go up a little bit. There we go. When the men got up to leave, so they appeared as men, the Lord now stayed. And he said, uh, then verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about ready to do? So the Lord stayed. And then in verse 19, who left? The two angels. Go back to 19. Does everybody see that? So they're getting up to go. The Lord says, ah, should I hold back what I'm about ready to do to Solomon and Gabor? Should I hold that back? Oh, no, I should. I'm going to talk to Abraham. And then it says, now the two angels kept going, and they went to Solomon and Gabor. Everybody get that? So now go back to the Hebrews passage, please, in our notes. Number one, love your brothers and sisters. Let's be kind people in the church. Number two, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers because by doing so, people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it and Jesus himself. Jesus himself was entertained by these folks. Now, verse 3, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, sometimes people think about this as Cousin Flacco who got locked up for some, doing some bad stuff, and we're going to reach out to him. But that's not specifically what it's talking about. We are to do jailhouse ministry, and we've done it in this church. And if you have a loved one in jail, we'll continue to reach out and to help in any way we can. But this is not for those who have committed crimes that rightfully, uh, rightfully are in jail. This is like why I wear this bracelet here of the, uh, the persecuted church represented here by the barbed wire these are for Christians who suffer in Jesus' name, and you are not to forget about them. You are to continue to pray for them. And last week, I didn't get a chance to show this to you, so go to Matthew 25, and I'll show you specifically how we know these are Christians who are suffering, which, by the way, we go to jails to help uh, see criminals become Christians as well. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. We want them to become Christians, but that's another passage that's going to be brought up to do things like that for people. This passage is for the persecuted church. Go to Matthew Matthew chapter 25 and start in verse 31. This is a famous passage. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but basically as you scroll through it, maybe just so everybody can see, brother, thank you for your help back there. Just, you know, scroll so they can see what I'm saying. You're going the opposite direction. There you go. Thank you. Basically, Jesus says on judgment day, he's going to separate everybody into two categories. One's going to be sheep and on uh, the other side is going to be goats. To the sheep, this is what he is going to say to them. And we can just now uh, take up here in verse 37. Or rather, in verse 34, this is what Jesus says to the righteous, those on his right. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in what? I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did from one of the least of these, my who? Brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now do you see why this has to be Christian? Because the Bible says, who is Jesus' brother or sister? He said that clearly, that they were whoever did the will of the Lord. And I'll get that for you right now in the Bible. How many have brothers and sisters in the natural? And how many have them in the spiritual? Which one do you like better? No, I'm kidding. Go with me now in the same book, Matthew 12, 50. How many have siblings that love Jesus? Those are the best. Amen. 
Whoever does the will, did you have this before me? Or did you just say, but you got there quick though, my brother. Uh, just go up a little bit because this humbles people who always want to talk to Mary and all this stuff, you know. Like, man, I want to talk to Mary. She's closer to Jesus. No, she's not. You're as close to Jesus as she is. You are, seriously, if the Holy Spirit is who the Bible says he is, you are as close to God as anybody in heaven right now, by the way. The only difference between us and heaven is our body. Our body doesn't let us take it all in because we would die. We have a sinful body that has to go back to the earth and be resurrected. But if you're talking about your soul and where you are, you're this close to Jesus right now. Can I hear an amen? Just a side issue, I'll put up Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible says we are literally in our spiritual soul seated with God in heavenly places. Now, that doesn't mean you're trans-dimensional. That doesn't mean you're in two dimensions at one time. It just means where the Holy Spirit is, God is. And if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have all that heaven has. In other words, heaven is not heaven without God. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, if you show up to heaven and God's not there, you're in hell, okay? You need to be where God is at. Now, notice this in verse 5. He's made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in where? The heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Well, the heavenly realms aren't up and out and all of that. The Bible says that they're in. The heavenly realms are in. This is where the heavenly realms are when the Holy Spirit is there. Amen? Amen. Now, going back to the passage there of Matthew, here we see people wanting to be superstitious. Well, if I can talk to Mary, it'll get closer to Jesus. No, the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, is as close to God as anyone will ever be. So while Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers, literal mother and brothers, stood outside. That's how we know Mary wasn't a virgin. She had needs. Can I hear an amen for women having needs? I'm not looking at you when you say amen. I just want to hear an amen because I know Mary was a woman, okay? She was married. She must have had needs, right? Woman of God, <laughs> I look at you, my wife. Now you're all getting quiet. My wife's especially quiet. It's already embarrassing. I might as well just finish it since I'm here. You are a godly woman, and do you have needs? Amen. So here we see the mother and brothers. Sometimes people try to say, well, that was the cousins. No, I mean, they had a word for cousins. This is brothers. These are Mary's other children. Joseph had to take care of Mary's needs. Amen. So while Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside. If you want to know who the brothers are, they're James and Jude. You can read that at another time. They stood outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. He, talking about Jesus, replied to him, who is my mother? Oh, it's the mother of Guadalupe, of course. No, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Hallelujah. That's why I don't need to pray to the mother of Guadalupe. Amen. I got Jesus. And if I need a prayer partner, I got Brother Joselito. I got you as my sisters and my mothers, right? Like we don't need to complicate this. Now going back to our notes, please. The Bible says, remember those in prison. The book of Matthew says what you do to them, you're really doing unto Jesus. We do help out those in jail because of their own issues, homeless people that have their issues. We do that based on, if you want to know, the Good Samaritan passage. How many know in the Good Samaritan passage, there was a difference between their cultures and worldview? See, they, they weren't of the same religious belief system. Samaritans were part pagan, part Jewish, and depending on which one you meant, depending on how they were going to live like that, okay? When 
then you see the good Samaritan, you see the Samaritan, the one who was oppressed by the Jew, reaching out to those who were his oppressors to do a kind act for him. When it says in the story, the religious Jews, the people of that own culture had rejected him, the good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan helped. And the way I like to tell that story is imagine if you're in the racist South and you're talking to the white folks and you're saying, imagine Bubba, the slave owner, getting jumped and he's there beat up on the side of the road and passing him by is the white pastor, the politician, the wealthy you know, person, but who comes to help him is Kutakinte. That's how Jesus flipped that around on him. Now, now you guys get the Good Samaritan. Isn't that a beautiful story? So... The idea is help people that don't look like you. Even if they're your oppressor, try to help them. Jesus said, if they ask you to go one mile, go two. Uh, pray for those who despitefully use you. It doesn't mean you have to sit and accept the behavior. It just means you're there to be kind despite their, their wickedness. But notice this. In this passage, as well as in Matthew 25, it's not a good Samaritan thing. It's not saying cross the boundaries of your cultures and your worldviews and help one another. Know what it's saying here as it did in verse 1. Love your brother and sister. Love your fellow Christian. Make sure that you're remembering your fellow Christian who is suffering in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen for that? Nancy, would you get our bracelets from the office? And anyone who wants them, uh, raise your hand as she begins to come. It has the website as well as a reminder, and it's pretty cool to wear. As she does that, would you go to the website, my brother, and let's remember these saints today, opendoorusa.org. And I want to show you how the Christian is suffering around the world. I, I felt for George Floyd, be honest with you. I totally did. I thought the police were wrong. How many felt that? I was just wrong. You're just kneeling on them. You're not getting up. And how many have seen some oppression in their days? You know, maybe right now, like, I had to buy the bottle of water from the Guatemalans, the Central Americans. How many see them around here, man? Like, we're trying to help. By the way, we are trying to help. We're trying to figure out ways to help them. Like, we're doing all that we can in those ways. But I just want to ask you a question. When was the last time you saw in our culture, on the main news, whether it's local or whether it's national, the persecution of Christians? You don't ever hear about it, do you? So I'm going to show it to you right here. Go to the watch list up there for me, please. This is the website we're going to give you for the bracelets. Yep, and just click on that. Thank you. When do we hear about all the tragedies happening all across these nations? And go ahead. Thank you, my brother. And just scroll up a little bit. When do we hear about all the persecution going on right now? Did you know that in Mexico, and I believe this is Colombia, is this Colombia right here? Do you know that in certain parts, as we're seeing here in Latin America and Central America, it's very dangerous to be a Christian because of the drug cartels? That they're persecuting Christians? You know that before the Argentine revival popped off, they were murdering Christians in Argentine, uh, in, uh, excuse me, in Colombia, in Cali, Colombia, before a revival happened there. The drug cartels were killing pastors like myself. Why? Because we were, they were preaching against drugs. They were seeing drug addicts saved, drug dealers saved. And then you look at northern Africa, which borders on the Middle East, and that's why uh, they have a lot of persecution because of the Islamic populations there. Nigeria, Boko Haram, uh, Boko Haram rather, uh, capturing the women, taking them as slaves, uh, torturing the men. We have a sister here from Ethiopia, Ethiopia, Sudan, if anybody's ever heard of Dofar and places like that. And then you get over here into the Middle East. I mean, these are some of the worst places to live as Christians. Do you think the Taliban is nice to Christians? They, they rape their children, murder their men. They drive them out of the land, okay? 
I'm not saying every Muslim is a terrorist or every Muslim is like this, but I'm helping you understand Islamic belief is like this. And so what they often say in our country is we want to introduce our culture to you. We want Islamic days on the college campuses. We want to teach you our prayers. You'll see them do this in our schools, and they're very slick about it. But ask them if we can do that in Mecca, in Saudi Arabia. Ask them if we can have a Christian day in lands that used to be Christian, which, by the way, I don't have time to get into Israel, but Israel is that one little spot right there that is not red. (laughs) And they're fighting over that. And they say, well, this and that and this and that. My friends, how about we let somebody not be Muslim there? How about that? How about we give some people some choice about not being Muslim? How about we let the Jewish people have their land, which the Quran even talks about? All of that around them is their enemies. And by the way, if you study the fulfillment of prophecy about how Israel became a nation, it is nothing short of a miracle. There was an Arabian or an Ar- a coalition of the Arabs in that area that tried to destroy Israel. But Israel remained in 1946 and 48, I believe. And then you go past that into Southeast Asia. And oftentimes, people think of these places as being cute. And I've been to India three times. And they think of, you know, like um, Angelina Jolie, you know, yoga and and these kinds of new age things. India is one of the most dangerous places to be a Christian. Just see if you could click on, uh, yeah, click on India. Does it give you some stats and facts there? Yeah, look at this. Look at this right here. Uh, The persecution level is at 94%. And then right above India, if you go over here in Pakistan, we'll show a little video of that if you click out of that, my brother. Yeah, maybe hit the X. Thank you. Right above India is Pakistan. Right there, click on that. Yeah, 100% violence. It's like, dude, they, they can, if they can get away with it, they will do it. And this is what we're supposed to pray for. This is what we're supposed to remember. Can I hear an amen? I say all that because if you go back to our passage, you'll see, well, remember people in prison and then, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people will go, well, that's just charity. You know, that's just going out doing that kind of charity. No, this is a very specific thing Christians are to do. Now that my wife is, did everybody get one who wanted one, a bracelet? Did, she hand, did you hand them out, boo? Okay, so if anybody else wants them, we have them. Because here's the thing I would like to ask you. When was the last time you prayed for people suffering for Christ like you prayed for yourself? Think about that. And I didn't even get time to go into China and those other communist nations, North Korea being one of the worst. You see, we don't do that. See, we as Christians, we need to remember our brothers and sisters. We need to pray for them often. I've made a commitment to pray at every meal for them. So remember them daily in your prayers. Lord, be with your suffering church. Amen? Amen. Verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Highlight that please, por favor. Now, this is the part that I don't understand, and people get mad at me as a preacher. How else am I supposed to preach this passage of Scripture to you? How else am I supposed to say this to you? Uh, Please don't do it. No, man, I'm going to tell you exactly what the Bible says. You live outside of marriage in your sexuality. You're going to hell. Get married if you're in a sexual relationship. If you can't stop, uh, you can't get married, rather, stop having sex. You're not a dog in heat. Can I hear an amen? Uh, you can stop. You can, this idea, well, we just can't stop. How about this? I always say to the woman, say to the man, until you give me a ringy, there'll be no more dingy. You'll see how fast they'll go get the marriage certificate. You get what I'm saying? You'll see how fast they can make that happen. Oh, they'll get that marriage certificate. And then, listen, if they don't want to marry you, then you don't need to be with them. Help us, Jesus. The Lord, our God, will judge the adulterer. 
That's sex outside of marriage with someone who is married. And then sexually immoral is two people having sex that are not married. And they could be any kind of people. It could be homosexuals because they cannot be married. It is not same-sex marriage. It's same-sex mirage. Two people of the same gender cannot be married. You guys understand what I'm saying? It's like saying there's such thing as a married bachelor. Can a married bachelor exist? How about a square circle? You have one of those in your pocket, young people? No, it's a contradiction. You cannot say a marriage between a man and a man. You can't, a marriage between a woman and a woman. That doesn't exist. There is no such thing as that kind of a marriage. It's a mirage. Call it whatever you want to call it. You can't call it a marriage. Marriage comes from our Bible, by the way. Amen? It comes from our scriptures where he created the male and female. And the man will leave his family to be united to the wife, and the two shall become what? One. Hallelujah. But what does the Bible say? God will judge those who break those vows. You break those vows, God will judge you. You live immoral, perverse, think of this way, perversion is a deviation of the original version. Sex with yourself, that's perversion. Sex with others you're not married to, that's perversion. Sexual gratification and things that are not sex that I'm not going to name because we have children in here, that's sexual perversion. The Bible says, though, marriage should be honored by all. So everybody should honor marriage, amen? So if you want to be a sexual active person, honor marriage. And that's, by the way, how we know that Mary didn't remain a virgin. Because after her marriage, if she's going to honor it, what is she going to do with Joseph? She's going to have sex. Sex is not evil. Sex is not bad. God created it and said, let the two come together and be one. That's a blessing from God. And the Bible says the only time you shouldn't have sex in a marriage is if you're dedicating a portion of your time to prayer, but you should not do it for very long because then it can cause sexual um, you know, confusion or, or you know, instability in the marriage. Never an excuse. Don't want to say this. I want to say this clear because I'm not saying it's an excuse to have an affair. I'm just saying in a marriage, you don't want to withhold sex. If you're going to sex separate, then that's a different thing. You need to be open about that. But if you're trying to have a healthy marriage, don't withhold sex. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. amen. Matter of fact, I'm just going to show it to you. How many want to see it? Okay, I'll show it to you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just so that you can see in a marriage, it's supposed to be honored. And if you don't do that, you're not doing well. I know sometimes people are like, well, I can't because I don't like them, you know, and all this stuff going on. And it's like, okay, I get what you're saying, ma'am, but like, you don't want to make this dude sexually frustrated as well, you know. And I'm not, I'm not saying the adultery is an excuse. How many are hearing me today? Okay. I'm just saying if you want the best plan here uh, for marriage, let me get it for you. Because I just feel this is a good time to grow in the word. 1 Corinthians, what I said, chapter 10. I think it's going to be before that. I believe it's chapter, yes, uh, 7. Chapter 7. Now about virgins. How many know virgins are a good thing? In this culture, they want to make them look dumb and stupid and nerdy. How many know a virgin is a good thing? Now, if you need to become a born-again virgin, that's awesome. I've done that before. Now, just stay a virgin, okay? Can I hear an amen for born-again virgins? Okay, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you a judgment as one by the, that the Lord has mercy on and is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. So if you want to remain as you are, go ahead and do it. Paul even saw problems back then that if you're married, it's going to make it harder on you because they were on the run, they were being persecuted. So sometimes people say, I don't want to bring children into this world. Okay, if you want to be celibate, that's up to you. But now look at verse 27. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. So you're good if you're engaged. 
Are you free from such a commitment? Don't look for a wife. But how many are glad that you can look for one if you want to? Paul is saying, this is my personal opinion, but I'm glad it's not the scripture because I definitely needed a wife. Amen? And if we would have all been scared like Paul was at this time and nobody had a wife, all the Christians would have died off. Amen? So I know a lot of times we think Paul is always speaking the word of God, but in, listen to this, in the word of God, Paul speaks his opinion. That's okay. It's all right to have an opinion. He's given us his, his, his best understanding of this. And he remained unmarried. But once again, how many are glad you are not celibate like Paul? Okay, five of you. I guess the rest of us don't know. I'm happy. I'm happy. Let me just say right now. I got six kids. I'm happy. We're going to keep making more. Amen. We're going to do all that the Lord told us to do. Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Don't look for a wife. Okay, Paul, but I'm really wanting to do that. But if you do marry, see here, here's what he says. If you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face more troubles in this life. And I want to spare you from this. And then sometimes what funny pastors try to say is it's the troubles of marriage. That's not what he's talking about, you know? Like, you being married going to be more problems because, man, look at your wife over there. No, that's not, what we, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the same thing like being a soldier or being involved in a life or death scenario. How many know if you have wife or kids, it's a lot harder to go to war and want to leave your family? Where if you don't have those obligations, it's a lot easier. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about you literally are not going to get along with your wife. And that's going to be more problems. Now, look at what he says uh, going down here to holding back times of, uh, from your wife. Where do we, uh, yeah, verse, uh, chapter 7. Now going all the way back up here to verse 1. Go all, all the way here. I just had to say that so you could see the context. Now about the matters you wrote about, it's, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own what? Wife. Does it say sex party or wives or, or a bigamy or polygamy, as I hear some people trying to bring back in? No. And each woman should have her own what? Husband. So don't ever say that the husband only possesses the wife, and that comes from the Bible, like you're my property. No, no. It says here she possesses the husband. How many know that's important? Because sometimes people try to make uh, the patriarchy in the Bible to look bad or husbands being the head of the homes. No, no. Look at what it says. A man has a wife, his own wife. So a man has possession of his wife. But also notice this, that each woman should have her own husband. In other words, we possess each other in a marriage. We're 100% belonging to the other person. Now look at verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And everybody said, amen, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. See, that's where people take us out of context, right? They'll just say it's about that, but notice it's going to come back to the husband too. So the wife doesn't have authority over her own body. This doesn't count for rape. This is consensual. But notice this, yields it to her husband in the same way. Everybody say in the same way. This is not marital rape. This is not spousal abuse. Notice, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his what? His wife. Now look at verse 5 for anybody saying that Mary would have remained a virgin. No, watch this. Look at what it says. Verse 5. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a what? For a time. 
that you may be devoted and be uh, devote yourselves to prayer. Well, they were just praying all the time. No, I don't care how sanctified Joseph and Mary were. If they are married, they're not going to be praying all the time, okay? Look at what it says. Then come together. Why do I know they couldn't have done this for very long? So that, tempt, uh, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Can I hear an amen to this? So the Bible says, don't be in a marital relationship withholding sex from each other because that will give an opportunity for Satan to have his way. And as we've seen in the Bible, Jesus had brothers. And so they did come together, and sex is a holy thing. Now, going back to the scripture, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. Do you think you can bring pornography into the marriage bed and it still be pure? Can't do that. It messes up the mind of the person, right? Can you bring another person into that bed? Of course not. Now, can you in the marriage bed be kept pure and have different styles and tastes of what, um, uh, you know, romantic life is supposed to be? Yes. And that's why we encourage marriage counseling before sexual intimacy, before the marriage, because then you can get to know and love each other. Because sometimes people are like, well, what if, what if the, the making of love is not amazing, you know? And I'm married to a person that I'm not turned on by. Well, then let's just, number one, trust God for this, then it could be amazing. And then number two, talk about that in marriage counseling. You know, if you're a freak in the sheets and you're like marrying somebody that's not like that, just tell them in marriage counseling, these are the ideas that I have for a happy love life. You, I, remember I told you why I rate marriage counseling on my list of things to do? It's just awkward for me as, as it is for you. But just follow me through here. Like, just say it. And then you can be like, that's not my style. Okay, then we're not going to get married. You don't need to now experiment, take three years of living together on some two-year engagement to finally figure it out. That was some stupid idea that a dude concocted anyways, ladies. A dude came up with that long-term engagement. You fell for it. You tell them, I'm telling you, no ringing, no dinging. He will get with you real quick or move on. Can I get an amen for that? He will figure it out real quick. And let me just say this, since I'm already in the awkward zone, Song of Solomon is a very intimate book. I do recommend it for those who think God is boring when it comes to lovemaking. It is not. It's a very intimate book in in, uh, types and shadows. Uh, But let me just say this, that marriage and the, the blessing of sex is not what the world says it is. Take it from somebody who was a wild partier back in the day and sexually perverse and then marrying and doing things right after 10 years of virginity. When I was doing it right, after those 10 years of, of born-again virginity, holding my wife's hand was like, oh, I'm holding her hand. This is neat. Seriously, from back in the day, all the wild stuff I did to, I'm serious, because God renews your mind. God renews your body, hallelujah. God renews your spirit, and you put that all into, the, into lovemaking, body, soul, and spirit. It's not about that crazy stuff that you see. If you want to do it and it's lawful, that's fine. But I'm just trying to say everybody thinking, oh, I have to have this to be happy. No, you don't. You need love. You need spiritual commitment. You need mental agreement, and that makes uh, lovemaking passionate and pleasing. Amen? Amen. Now moving on to verse 5. Don't you ever say your pastor don't keep it real, by the way. Okay, he talks about it all. Yes, because if Father Tom doesn't talk about it, you're going to listen to Cardi B. Hello, you listening? Come on. If your pastor don't tell you about it, you're going to get it from Cardi B. And we're not taking sex ed from Cardi B. We're not listening to what they have to say. You'll learn it here. Amen. 
I'm just being very honest with you. I have to do that because the world has polluted our minds. And they don't know how to keep anything pure. And they mess up everything. They do. The world messes up everything. Is it okay to drink alcohol? Yes, in moderation. But look at Mardi Gras. They mess it up and make everybody smell like pee and urine and puke. Yeah, it's food good. It's meant to be enjoyed. And now look at our culture, all obese. The world messes up everything. Sex is meant to be beautiful. Your grandparents were having beautiful sex. That's why they had 15 kids. Now we got all of this uh, erotic stuff going on and nobody can even stay together for 15 minutes. I'm telling you, the world breaks everything God gives them. Come back to Jesus. Let him renew everything about you. The way you look at my same thing. We were living, man, come on, we were living on farms and we were happy. Now we have all of this technology, we have all of this wealth, and everybody's either on depression medication, wants to kill themselves, or is seeing a psychiatrist who's just as messed up as they are. And that's the truth, brothers and sisters. Don't be uh, so prude. Let me say this, because we may have different sensibilities. I don't want to be rude, and you don't always have to like my style. But I'm just trying to say, don't be so prude if, if these last five minutes made you feel uncomfortable. Because if a holy pastor, 30 years free from pornography, almost 20 years married, 16 kids, uh, six kids. I'd like to have 16. <laughs> wow, come on. Six kids. If, if I can't help you to do this, then who is going to help you? Amen. Okay, let's go to verse 5. Keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. So we have this confidence. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? This goes right into what I was saying. We put on the dollar bill in God we trust, and now everybody's trusting in money. How are we doing with that? We have more security than we've ever had before. You can have 401Ks. You can have insurance plans, life insurance. You can even get it for your children. God forbid something happened to them, and we're still walking around nervous. We have the best opportunity for jobs. Everybody by me seems to be hiring. I always see these signs, right? And I know things are getting expensive with inflation, but you've had more food security than you've ever had in your whole life. You've had more housing security. I talk to the homeless, uh, you know, and after you talk to them for a little bit, it's always the same unless they have a heart willing to change. And by the way, I've brought in over 30 into my house when I was single. You get to know them real quick. At, at some point in the conversation, I look at one-eyed Willie and I go, you just want to be out here, don't you? You just want to be out here because there's 10 Christian missions over here. There's 30 programs. Do you know that we have more uh, pregnancy programs in the state of Illinois than we do abortion facilities? But yet they'll still rush in to murder their children. It's, I'm telling you, it's a foolishness upon this generation. Why? Because no matter how much money you have, it can't satisfy your soul. No matter how much help you have around you, the police over here, a government of stability here, a job over here, you'll still be nervous all the time unless the Lord's your helper. Can I hear an amen? I mean, I meet people all the time. They're in my neighborhood, man. They live in these beautiful homes. They got the two cars, the white picket fence, and they're nervous all the time. They're not at peace. They can't sleep good. I follow this podcast, Girls Gone Bible. It's something that I watch with my kids and my daughters. Two models in L.A. got saved. They're just, they're encouraging to listen to. And I listen to them talk about their problems. And I'm like, oh, God, have mercy. Go to a third world country for a minute. I have problems. And they're just California girls talking about their problems. But I'm so glad Jesus got those California models girls back. Amen. But I'm just thinking, I'm like, man, we used to think about this for a minute. We used to live during wars. I'm talking like, imagine right now a war going on. 
We used to be at peace. We didn't need all the drugs to keep our minds at ease. People were going to bed, waking up, going about life, and they knew their children were at war dying. We used to be through plagues. I'm not talking about COVID, a bad, a bad cold. I'm talking about the black plague has swept through lands. I'm talking about we have gone through the most tragic of histories, and yet people were able to go through it with a sound mind. They were able to keep their mind focused on Jesus. You look at the abolition movement of the early slaves. We're at more peace in the midst of the, the debauchery of slavery than we have people now living in our cities. Man, if you wanted to kill anybody, why didn't you kill the slave owner? Why are you killing the dude on the block that has a different color than you? The, the different bandana. Are you guys listening to me? You see how the devil has it all twisted? Here we have the opportunity now for our youth in the city to do something great. I work with them all the time. I'm telling you, I do everything I can for the Ohio Park community, the west side. We go out there all the time. And you know what? They look at us like we're crazy. I got yelled at by the drug dealer because I was messing up his business. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry you want to go to hell out here, but I guess I'll keep talking over here. But he got mad at me. My friends, that man can't make enough money to be at peace in his soul. Do you understand that? Let's not act like every generation has been like this. No, this is an end times wicked generation. It has not always been like this. It hasn't always been like you see homosexuality the way that it is. It hasn't always been like this. And are we the better or worse off for it? We're worse. Nobody's at peace. Now notice Jesus' method here for peace. Don't love your money. Be content with what you have. How many think that's a pretty good model to live by? And then what do you do? You trust God. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, well, what if all hell breaks loose? I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to go out here to do stupid things to expect it to get better. When I listen to these young people tell me, well, God's not going to pay my bills. I got to get out here and do it myself. Okay, I guess you just want to go to hell with the devil then because you sound like a complainer like him. My friends, believing the devil's lies is not going to change your situation. And when God judges us, everybody get this through your mind. On the day of judgment, God will not feel sorry for your sinful self. Can I hear an amen for that? Well, what about the young people? They just don't know better. A lot of them do know better. I'm being 100% real with you right now. We look at the trouble of our streets. We look at what's going on in the community. You don't think they know what Satanism is. They know what it is. They're putting it all over their music right now. You don't think, don't think that they're just naive. I know there's a sense of naivety around them, but they know exactly what they're doing. If you remember, we had that one uh, young influencer up here on the YouTube, and, and uh, the pastor met him on the streets. He was out there to meet uh, one of those professional soccer players. He's got like a million followers, and the preacher knew who he was and knew that his dad was a preacher, and then said to him, are you a Christian? And then the guy started hemming and hawing, and then he asked him, are you gay? Because you have a gay song. You know, I never thought I would hear gay rap. But this dude's a gay rapper talking about doing gay things. And then uh, he said, well, you got a gay rap song. And then he said he wanted to do something perverted with the soccer ball player that he left. And the crowd, I almost want to play a little video right now, to be honest, but I think I just told it already. But then everybody got excited when he said, I want to go blankety-blank with this, this uh, soccer player. Do you think that young person doesn't understand what they are doing? They have made a conscious decision to rebel against the God of the Bible. Now, in the big sense, do they know where that ends? Like Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. No, they're deceived in that sense. But how many know they're making a choice? And the same thing with parents today. You don't think Bernie, uh, you know, the older people, you don't think Bernie Madoff knew what he was doing? 
You don't think these corrupt politicians know what they were doing? Our governors go to jail. You don't think they know what they are doing? They put together these schemes, these plans to rip us off, and then they want us to feel sorry for them. I love what, uh, what one man said. I can't remember which one. Oh, yeah, it was Warren Buffett. He said, I have a way to solve the debt. If after four years they haven't in Congress or in the Senate solved it, they can't run a, uh, for a reelection. That's how we'll solve the debt right now. You can't run a second term unless you guys solve our debt problems. Can I hear an amen to that? But see, what does the Bible say? The Lord's my helper. I wish we would go back to the day, and I know it sounds sometimes too simple, but I wish we would go back to the day where we trust God just like the farmer used to trust for the rain. You know, how many knows that farmer can't do anything to bring the rain? You know, I'm talking before they had all these integrated ways, uh, you know, intricate ways of irrigation. I'm just saying, like, that farmer was dependent on that rain. He knew it. Like, man, if that rain does not come on this ground and that sun does not shine, I don't get what I need. I think somehow in the modern world, we've gotten deceived into believing because we have our 401Ks, because we have such a high standard of living, because we have so much technology that we don't need Jesus. That's why I say back to those young people, if Jesus is not going to pay your bills, who do you think is going to pay your bills? I'm going to pay my bills. I'm a self-made man. Now, you're a self-made mess. Let me tell you something. Could you breathe without Jesus? Try that. Try to make oxygen. You know what I'm saying? Try to think a thought without Jesus. Where do you think your brain came from? And yet people think, just get this through your mind real quick, people think that because they can make a few bucks, do a few things with technology, that they don't need the Lord as their helper. Christians, let's show them better. Let's show them in both ways. Let's show them we are people of prayer and people who kick their butt in everything they try to do. We do it better. Amen? I want to be so prosperous like Daniel that my haters have to come to me and say, how are you kicking my butt so much on this job? And I say, it's only but God. I want you to be the best salesperson. I want you to be the best rep, the best teacher. We should be producing like how we did back in the day. Harvard, Princeton, Yale. Those are Christian things. Come on. We should be back in the day with art. Look at Picasso, or, or rather, uh, look at uh, Da Vinci. Look at our art. That's Christian art. Look at our hospitals. You, you ain't never been to a St. Hitler hospital. You go to all these Catholics. Look at our hospitals. Look at our uh, cathedrals. Look at our castles in Jesus' name. Look at the nations that we built. Ain't no Muslim nation built built something like us. No communist country has built something like us. These are Christian principles in Jesus' name. It's about time you take it to your job. Amen? Don't let a socialist technology company think they're the only ones that have, have the internet. Let's outdo them on the internet. Let's outdo them in construction. Let's be like the Amish again where we can build a barn in a day in Jesus' name. Are you listening? You ever, y'all didn't even know the Amish, man. I, had, I saw a video because sometimes I'd be like peeping on them, so I have them come up on my feed. The Amish built a barn the other day, and they picked it up and moved it to where it needed to be. The Amish, man. They don't even have electricity, and if I say the Amish can build stuff, you're like, oh, yeah, I know they can. We need to go back to putting God first in all we do. Amen? Amen? Keep free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. And then trust God. Now look at verse 7 in closing today. This is the message. Somebody say the message. Amen. The rest of that was review with a little bit extra. Now notice what it says here. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. That's what we believe. Isn't that amazing now that I showed you that in the Old Testament? Wow, isn't that something cool? Like, he's the same. 
Jesus always been running things. He's the boss. Praise God. He was there yesterday. He's here today. Hallelujah. He's forever. Now imagine when they first wrote that. That forever for them might have only seemed like a few years, but we're in a forever of 2,000 years from that day they wrote it. And is Jesus still good to us? Oh, he's so good. So good. I want you to think in these last few moments that we have together, I will make the message short. I want to respect your time. I want you to think about what you believe about leadership. Because the Bible says, remember your leaders. When you think about leadership, you have to ask yourself, am I willing to be one as well? It's one thing to point our fingers at the world and say how bad they do it. The other thing is to step up and take their spot and do it better. When I look at the world of failed leadership, I think about fathers that left their families. Fathers who disappointed their children, their wives. I need to be a better father. I need to be a better husband. Can I hear an amen? I look at the pastors because that's my job. I look at the pastors who have already been in this city and have already left because they didn't want to do their job. Some of them are on the run because they got crime and criminal statutes. Others just got tired, hurt by the sheep, bit by the bad ones, and gave up. I need to be a better pastor. I need to show you that I don't quit, that I'm here to the end. Amen? And then I look at your lives, and I go, are you a leader? Are you a good husband? You a good wife? Young people, you good students? And then I want to know, what, what does your boss say about you? What do your neighbors say about you? What do the friends around you say? Now, they may not like your Christianity, but what do they say about your integrity? Can any of your friends catch you in a lie? Coworkers, family members? Do you not keep your word? Show up early? Stay late? Because this is what the Bible says we're all supposed to do. And church is supposed to be a place where we practice how to do that. If I don't see you leading here, how can I trust you to go lead out there? And if you don't lead out there, what are you really doing inside of here? They're related to each other. Can I hear an amen? My dad used to say a lot of people in church want to play make-believe because they can't lead out there, but they come to the pastor and make them feel bad if they don't make them a leader in here. No, sir. No, ma'am. Show us you're a leader out there. We'll make you a leader in here. Show us that you're already doing stuff in your community. Show us that you care about young people. And if you need help, of course, leaders make leaders. But you have to ask yourself, how are you doing? Because if we all just left it to somebody else, we'll be in the kind of problems that we're in now forever. If we keep leaving politics to be those people to be politicians, then we'll keep having those problems. We need godly leaders to raise up and be godly politicians. Amen? Because otherwise, we'll keep, you know, stupid is as stupid does. You keep doing the same things, you'll get the same results. If we don't like the way our aldermans are acting, we need to raise up our new aldermans. If we don't like the way our public schools are doing, we need more teachers in the public school and then start our own, make them these uh, charter schools and outdo those public schools. Amen? We need to look at our jobs and see if our jobs are corrupt and if they're not doing the right thing, let's compete with them. Let's resign from our job, open up a shop down the road. You know, uh, over here is uh, T-Mobile. I don't want to be with T-Mobile. I'm going to open up Joe's cell phone. I'll be right down here. We'll see who wins in five years. You listening to me? Why can't I open up Joe's cell phone? Why does it have to be T-Mobile? Y'all listening? I mean, why? Why does the world have to be the way it was? Uh, the way it is just because the way it was. I love what Steve Jobs said. He said he looked at the world and he said, it doesn't have to be this way. I can change it if I want. I can poke at it. I can move boundaries if I want to. It doesn't, you know, a computer doesn't have to stay at your house. I can make a computer fit into your pocket. Where are the Christians at? We discovered, we discovered countries. Of course, others had been there before us. But we've been engineers. We've been, uh, we've been astronauts. How many know it was Christians that went to the moon? That's why when people, I said, how many know we went to the moon? Let's start there. Bunch of flat earthers. Anybody here believe we went to the moon? Okay, so we went to the moon. Those were Christians. 
That's why when I talk to my friends that say they're flat earthers, you're calling these men liars. And many of them were Christians, and they gave glory to God when they were up there. What are you doing, Christian man, Christian woman? Some, some of you might say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. That's amazing. You know Sue Anna, Sue Anna Wesley was a stay-at-home mom. She raised up her children to serve the Lord. Many of them became preachers, changed the world. Some of the best leaders that we look at, like uh, Isaac Newton and others, were homeschooled by their parents. They knew how to speak multiple languages before they ever went to uh, the universities of their time. Before there were public schoolhouses or houses of worship that were used as schools, parents taught their kids. Can I hear an Amen. Some of the best world leaders and inventors were taught at home. Do it in Jesus' name. Find resources to help you. We cannot sit back and just say it's somebody else's job. I looked up some definitions of leadership. I used my chat AI because I like using this. How many have ever used chat AI before? People are like, it's the beast. I know it's probably going to turn into that, but I'm going to use this beast until it does. Just like I use all types of other technology. Satellite's going to be used by the beast, but I'm going to use it. Notice this. Leadership is the ability to guide, inspire, and influence individuals or groups towards a common goal or vision, even through effective communication, decision-making, and setting a positive example. How many think that's pretty cool? I said, that, I said to the AI, now tell it to me like I'm three years old. <laughs> Leadership means when someone helps others and shows them the right way to do things, like a big brother or sister helping their sibling. How many got it that time? I said, make it deep for me now, philosophical. They said, leadership can be, in view, uh, be viewed as the embodiment of ethical and moral principles where an individual or collective entity assumes responsibility not merely for guiding others towards a goal, but for fostering the development of their potential and character. It is a profound exploration of human agency, integrity, and the balance of power, emphasizing the moral imperative to inspire, empower, and to serve others in the pursuit of a greater good. All right, AI, come on. I'd be writing my wife notes from AI as well. I told her I would, just to let her know they'd be coming from AI, but there's some cool things on this, on this AI. Okay, now you got a definition of it. Are you that? Because you need to look up to somebody to be what you want to be. Are you a leader? You should be looking up to a leader. Not just saying I'm not a leader. You should be saying I'm not one yet, but I'm remembering those who were. Okay, so I'm not good at this Bible study yet, but I'm looking up to somebody who is. So let's say you come from a shy background. You can never do what I'm doing. Public speaking is still a major fear for a lot of people. Okay, well then what shy leader are you looking up to right now that is using their gift despite their shyness? Come on. You just can't sit back and go, well, I'm shy. It's hard for me. Okay, so then what one are you remembering now? Are you thinking about a Griselda? Is she here today? Can you grab Griselda for me, please? I'm going to tell on her. When she comes, give her a loud hand clap, okay, because I don't want her to be embarrassed, which will probably the hand clap will embarrass her, but we're going to go with it anyway, okay? There's one of her kids. Let's give it up for Griselda. Oh, yes. Come on up here. Please grab a seat right here. Yes. There is no question. All you have to do is sit there and chill. I'll do the rest, but I will give you a chance to share. I will give you a chance to share. So 
Only about two or three times that I can remember in my whole ministerial life, which is coming on 30 years now, three decades, have I ever pushed somebody into ministry where I could actually be looked at like you might have pushed them a little bit too hard, okay? Now, a lot of times people think I'm pushy. They think I'm intense. I just call that normal, okay? But I'm talking about like three times, like for real, like I would get your point if you felt I was pushy. She was one of them. We had just started the Bible college. Can we get her a mic, please, uh, Brother Rudy? We had just started the Bible college, and my wife and I, who pray for our church regularly, we lift them up, you know, by name most of the time. Thank you. We felt in our heart that Griselda had a call of God on her life. She, at that time, was just a newly saved young lady, had come out of the bar scene. And what were you doing for a job at that time? I was working at a bar. You were still working the bar? Well, yeah, right. the first few months of being... Okay, but when I came to you about Bible oh. college, was it still a oh, bar? Oh, I was babysitting, no. Okay, babysitting. So from bar to babysitting. Very cool. There we go. Now, at this time, I called her up, and I basically asked her to pray about going to Bible school. And she said, this is not really my thing. I don't really want to do it. And then I think it was like a couple days later, I called you back, and I'm like, you're not hearing from God. <laughs> Let's try this again. And I'm being honest. I'm being, I know this is really sketchy, sus. It can really border on a cult. And trust me, I'm called that a lot. But I, I'm being honest with you. I've, I haven't done this many times. But this was one of those times I pulled the pastor card. And I said, if you believe that I know how to hear from God, like if you believe I know what a minister looks like, if you believe I can see that, like you believe I'm good at that, would you take my word and pray again and seek the Lord if he would have you to join the Bible college. Now, as God is your witness, no lying up here, did you get a confirmation immediately from God, or did you just listen to your pastor? What did you do? Honest, I think it was both. Okay. But when you came to me, I, was, I had started a certificate program at Wright College, Ooh. so there was that being torn yeah. between finishing what I started and then... Um, following this call mm. that, I, that I had in my life. So it was a pull. It was a pull. And you yeah. went for it, though. Yes, I did. Okay. Now, I want to know when in that process do I get the star next to my name as the pastor <laughs> and you meet your soon-to-be husband and all these things come together and your calling is made sure. When did it happen like you just knew? This was what you were supposed to do. And it wasn't right, college. It was your time to shine. When did you know in that process? Um, I think what, after starting Bible college and being more hands-on, drawing closer to full-time ministry, I understood that this is what I was made for. This is what I was called to do. Praise God. Now, I want you to think about this. She could have sat back and said, I don't want to listen to my leaders. I don't trust them. I don't need this, and went in that own direction. And could she have still been a member of the church? Absolutely. There was no threat towards her Christianity. I never said you weren't a good Christian or that you actually missed God. I wasn't trying to make you doubt yourself, right? Like, okay, let's just be very clear. Because I know some spiritual people, they use that as manipulation. Like, well, do you really know how to hear from God? Or, or are, you know, are you really a good Christian? Is there sin in your life? They get them very uh, introspective to cause them to doubt themselves. I don't believe in that. Because I believe the moment you teach people that they 
they cannot hear from God and they only can hear from God through you, you have now tried to become their God. It's a form of idolatry. And sometimes you'll meet church members like that where they can't hear from God unless their leaders do. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is learning how to hear from God on your own, but imitating. Somebody say imitate. Thank you. But imitating the faith that you see in their lives. Now, what was it about four years ago? You were tasked to preach, I think, your first Sunday sermon, right? No, it wasn't first. It wasn't first. Okay, so we took a step backwards. Yeah. So you had already did it. Right. It was your second then? It could have been, yeah. Okay, and what happened? Tell us what happened on that Saturday night. Well, um, I tend to be more of the anxious type of person, and so the more I think about it, the more I work myself up to this place of anxiety. And so it was a Saturday night. I'm preparing to preach the next day, and I'm just getting so lost in my thoughts and all this confusion, and I just like, I can't do this. I'm not, I can't preach tomorrow. And that's when I get the call. That Pastor Griselda, one of our new pastors, can't preach. And I think Lauren was on the phone, and it's like, who do we have now replace her? And then what did the pastor do? Did I just let her off easy? Of course not. I pulled the pastor card again, and I said, hold up. You got this. We did some breathing exercises because she was hyperventilating, and it wasn't even Sunday morning. Am I not telling you the truth? I'm telling the truth, right? Like, I was like, let's do some breathing exercises. And here's a good one. Let's all do it together. We're going to breathe in, hold for about five seconds, breathe, breathe out for seven. You guys ready for a relaxation technique? Okay, let's breathe. Now breathe out. And then what happened? You decided to do it. Yeah. Did you regret it? Was it a terrible sermon? No. Did you wet your pants? Did no. everybody laugh at you? <laughs> Did you forget everything? No. What happened that no. Sunday? I mean, I, the devil is such a liar. Your flesh is such a liar in those yeah. moments. Uh, the Sunday was beautiful. It was perfect. It was, awesome. it was, it was everything it. I felt the Lord wanted to speak to the congregation. It was just my own flesh the night before. And I, can I say one thing? Please, you can. It's just moments, you know. In that moment where I sent that message, I can't preach tomorrow, it felt so good to my flesh. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. free. But I knew it's like that momentary pleasure would lead to a lifetime of regrets. Because you start compromising in places like that and not submitting to the authority in your life or the yeah. leaders over you. You start compromising. Okay, you didn't do it. And then before you know it, you start saying no and no and no to the things of God right. more and more because it feels good to your flesh. So I'm so, I am grateful for the years of being spurred on because yeah. I, I can be a little stubborn, you know, yeah. but there's people around you who care for you, who love you, see the call of God on your life that are going to spur you on to good works. Amen. Let's give it up for Grizz. Yep. I'll take that mic. I'm going to call up one more for a testimony. Augustine, would you come up for me, please? Let's give it up for Augustine Roman, the man of God. Because I know what it's like for a lot of people when you hear a testimony like that. You might just be like, well, that was religious, and she trusted her pastor. But I'm going to show you an electrician now. I'm going to show you something that I got to see in this man's life. I don't have the same a role to play as I did with Griselda, but Augustine was one of those teenagers that I would pick up when I was both the youth pastor and the senior pastor here. It was an honor to pick him up from high school and bring him to the church. Did you have a good time coming with me in the vehicle? Yes. Right? We had a good time, right? Oh, yeah. Awesome. And you started using your gifts and playing the guitar, but then at some point, 
we offended you, Jesus offended you, and you stopped coming to church, right? That's right. And then how many years went by until you came back? Like five. About five, five years. years. He left as a young man that I used to pick up, and he came back as a grown man. Now, at that time, I'm not saying he was your typical young man, you know, playing video games, passing gas, doing all that kinds of stuff, you know. But he was somewhat directionless. Would that be a, a way to say maybe as a young man, you were not achieving your highest goals yet? Be honest. What does directionless mean? I mean it just... You were just kind of going with the flow. You hadn't picked a profession yet. Yeah. You hadn't had a real long-term female relationship. Right. Okay, right. there we go. See, I don't want him to be a yes man. Comes to me as a man, single man, young man. Fast forward today, he's married, has wonderful children, and he's an electrician. But I want you to think about this. Started off when I started to know you with these odd jobs and then the doorman job, right? And then he decided to go back to school to be an electrician. And I prayed with him right up here because I think you were already married. Yeah. You were already married. And he was realizing, I don't think I'm going to be able to pay my bills with doing what I'm doing, or at least not the way you wanted to. But he goes back to school to become an electrician. And I was right there with you, and I prayed with you. And I said, brother, you can do it. And I remember one of those times was in that back parking lot. You see, the Bible says, imitate their faith. Highlight that for me. You see, I'm not an electrician. But I'm a leader of leaders. Does everybody get that? And so when this brother was kind of starting off his marriage, and I knew that he was going to make a move, I wanted to be there to inspire him. Not to just be like, oh, that's cool, dude. Go for it. No, but to actually inspire him to do it. Now, after you became an electrician, you came and did a side job for us, didn't you? I did. Now, how did I, how did I treat you? Come on, put the mic up. When you came to do that side job in our parsonage, paying you real money, how did I didn't want no discount? How did yeah. I treat you? Be honest. I I came in thinking I was doing you a favor. Yeah. You know, like I'm just gonna bless my brother. And, yeah. And uh, you turned into Ken real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he wanted to walk in without his shoes covered and his work boots. How many know if you come into a house and you don't got your work boots covered, you probably never coming back as an electrician. Hello. Then he gave me the time frame of when he was going to do the job, and I didn't tell you to set a time frame. You gave me your time frame, and what happened around nighttime? What happened around nighttime? Turned out it was going to be longer than I thought, <laughs> and I told him, listen, it's already 10 at night, and I didn't tell him I had to be up at 4 in the morning, but I told him I'm just going to finish up tomorrow. Yeah, and I said, you can't do that, man. I got things to do tomorrow. You've opened up my basement you got to get to Home Depot and get those parts and shut this thing down for me. And I said, do you know how to call up? I don't listen. Am I an electrician? No. But I said, do you know how to call up and get your parts ready? And you said, no. And I said, I'm going to call them up. I'm going to have the parts ready. And you know what? I'm going to have them waiting at the door for you. Then what happened? You did exactly that. I went over there, and they already had the stuff I needed. And, you know, I got there, and I went back and finished the job. How many would hire them now? Come on. Let's be honest. Let's be honest, though. Let's be honest, man. Any person in this house, uh, any person that owns a house, electrician comes with their shoes off, tells you the job's going to be done a certain day and doesn't do it. Are you hiring them again? Be honest with me, saints. Bible says remember your leaders. Can I say something, though? Oh, just a second. I'm going to definitely let you say it. But I want you all to think about this. Think about this, brothers and sisters. I'm not an electrician. But what am I? What am I? I'm a leader. 
I cared about this man's business. I didn't want him to do a favor for me. I wanted him to take pride in what he did. I wanted him when he walked out of that job to be able to say, man, if I did it at my pastor's house and I learned how to put on my booties and I learned how to make my schedule and make my budget and stick with it, I know I can go out there and do it. And before he shares, what he didn't know is that there's a principle in the Jewish community, and I wish I knew the name. I asked my chat and they will tell me, but there's a name in the Jewish, in, in the Jewish world where they first do it for themselves, and then after they do it for themselves, they do it for others. In other words, the Jewish people, they're only going to buy from Jewish people at first. They're going to train them up. And then what they do in their businesses, whether they're selling jewelry or whether they're selling uh, things um, you know, in the corner store, they're tough on each other because they know that once they have pleased the hard-to-please Ken or the hard-to-please Jew, when they open up their business to the public, nobody can compete with them. So they learn to cut their teeth with their own people. So, for example, let's say you're selling drapes and you're a Jewish businessman. The Jewish people who need the drapes start frequenting your business. But if they notice your drapes aren't being done the right, the right way, they'll say, listen, I'm not taking my business over there. I'm still doing my business with you. But you got to make your drapes better. you got to cut them tighter down here. And you got to have it on this type of a schedule. Because if not, these people down here are going to whoop your butt. I'm, I'm loyal to you because you're a Jew you like me and I'm going to build you up and then when the job is done I'm going to pay you the full amount but until you can get it I'm going to keep on you because once you get it you're going to take over this whole thing and that's why brothers and sisters and you know who I learned this from I learned it from an African American that said the African Americans need to do what the Jews did and then I looked it up myself it's the true fact because they learned it from the Bible if you can build God's house think about that they first build God's house then you can go out there and build somebody else's house if you can take care of your home you can go out there and take care of somebody else. Go ahead, man. T tell your story. So I applied everything that you taught me Come when on. I did that side job. I started wearing booties. So Come I on. actually did another job at uh, yes. Juan Resco and yes. I, I put on jewel bags because I, I forgot to buy booties. So jewel bags. And uh, he was like, oh man, uh, her his wife was like, thank you so much for putting those on your boots. On. You know, being so thoughtful. So I actually applied everything that you taught me that Amen. day. And uh, there was another time, too, where I actually came prepared yep. to do that job. I didn't come with, a, you know, hey, I'm your friend and I'm doing yep. a, a work for you. I came in with, like, a, this is business, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat it as is. And it, it, it really did bless me. So You have blessed us. Thank you, man of God. Let's give it up for Augustine. He's not that young man anymore. He's a balling electrician. You can uh, give it to the guys in the back. Tikkum Olam, T-I-K-K-U-N-O-L-A-M. It represents the Hebrew principle of working together to make a community better. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? I'm going to ask you this one more time in closing. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Are you looking up to people right now to do what you need to do in life? Let's say I'm not the first leader in your life because you need someone maybe closer than what I am. You need to have someone, though. These are leaders that are offering their lives to you. Maybe Rosalito is not the best example to learn how to be a single mom, okay? But how many know Rosa can help with that? Come on, see, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. These are leaders speaking the word of God to you. How many can, uh, like right now, appreciate him, but maybe you're thinking to yourself, I want to be like him. I just don't want to appreciate him. I'm looking at some of these young guys here. Maybe you want to be a tradesman, right? Boom, come talk to him. Let him pray for you. You see, Christian people need to learn how to grow and develop with each other. 
We have lost the ability to see community. Do you know that I grew up in a time, this is almost unheard of now, but just 30 years ago when I was a wee little lad in church, do you know what they had, Monica? A church directory. And do you know what they put in that church directory? Your job, where you worked, and your professional abilities. Why do you think they had that in the church directory? Because they wanted you to know how to go bless people in the church. Okay, I need to go get insurance. Man, who's in our church that sells insurance? I'm going to go to them. Okay, man, I need to go get my hair cut. Oh, who's cutting hair in church? You know what? I need some tutoring. I need to know who's doing tutoring. You see, I need that one. See, Christians, then we hold each other accountable. And then we start doing the right thing. You know when politicians started getting all wild? When we didn't hold them to that Bible they swore on. Didn't they have to swear on that to get in? Now we don't hold them to it. Why? Because the pastors are just as corrupt as the politicians. You ask the people on the street, that's what they're going to say, right? Because people don't care anymore. But we need to do it. We need to start with where we're at. And not only just in the things of the world, but back to the things of the church. Remember I said, well, if it's not your gift, what are you doing to grow in it? Okay, pastor, I'm not a great speaker. Okay, what are you doing to grow in it? Okay, pastor, I'm not good at going out evangelizing. Okay, so what are you doing to grow in it? Pastor, I don't like to read a lot. I don't know much about the Bible. Okay, what are you doing to grow in it? What leader have you picked in those areas of your life to where you can do it? One last thing in closing. Each one of these leaders that are up here, they're here because they're volunteering their time for the Lord. If we as Christians don't take our leaders up on their gifts and abilities and we're still suffering in life, it's our own fault. My dad was a multi-million dollar financial planner, one of the highest levels of his company. He worked for American Express. One day I brought him in to meet with the marriage uh, couples uh, to give them financial advice. And I was seeing people like in their early 20s just sitting listening to my dad like this. And then I kind of interrupted and I'm like, do you even know what it costs to get his time? Do you even know? Like, you're not setting up in an appointment just coming to see my dad. My dad worked Well, of course, with everybody, but he ended up coming to the high-level people, the ones that he didn't want he would give to his associates. And my dad would just be sitting there like, hey, guys, let me just tell you about this. I worked, uh, I, I used to, you know, oversee a guy's gas station, you know, empire. I was working over, and I'm just, you know, and I know they're listening, but there was no notes. There was no anything. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's giving you financial advice for free. This is what people go to Tony Robinson for to pay $500 to watch him jump up and down, you know. Like it's a Teletubby concert or something. Like where's, you know, like go Barney type thing. It's like, man, y'all just got all this hype and smoke. Here's mentors. Here's another thing. My dad told me the first problem that he had in ministry, because my dad didn't retire, he refired. So when he stopped doing the financial plan, he still does some on the side now. And he does do it for anybody that's looking for that. I offer his services to you, not as a way of promotion, but because he's such a godly man and what he does, he wanted to do it to give back to the body of Christ specifically. But... He said, I want to be a minister. So my dad went to Bible school, graduated, became a licensed minister. He said, you know what the first thing I learned about ministry that was different than my job? Is he said that people don't respect you. He said, at my job, if somebody didn't make an appointment, that would be it, man. I'm not seeing you again. I'm not your, I'm not your guy. You're not my client. My dad said he would volunteer in churches like this, even smaller than this. And somebody would come up to him, hey, Jim. Can you disciple me? Can you do something with me? Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do it. They wouldn't show up to the lunch. My dad would be out there with Bible study, Bible, they wouldn't even call him. 
He said, Joe, it's different in ministry. I said, yeah, Dad. I said, we, we have to let go of our pride in ministry. And I said, that's the reason why a lot of ministers are insecure and they try to be big somebodies up there because they've been burned so many times by little somebodies out there. It's still not right, but I'm just saying, if you want to know their mindset, like if you want to know how a mega pastor becomes a mega mess, it's because he's tired of y'all. Let's just be honest. They don't want to talk to you anymore. They don't want to be around you. They're done with you. They just want your money because they've already seen all the church problems. I'm just being real with you. But we can't do that as ministers. Jesus said, when you see the world, they lord it over each other. But you become the servants of all. I want you to think about what it would have been like to be in Paul's church. The apostle Paul, he's like, man, you want to do discipleship? And you say, no, I don't want to do that. Okay, these guys are not the Apostle Paul. I get that. But these are people who have learned from the Apostle Paul. Rejecting leaders' leadership is like rejecting the apostles. Because what are you saying? Oh, I'll just figure it out on my own. Uh, you know what? Nobody's perfect. Do we think Paul was perfect? Do we think Timothy was perfect? No, the Bible says, remember them who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. This young man here at the end, TJ, is the youngest of all of them out here. I'm telling you, he has more spiritual wisdom in his pinky than Donald Trump, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Apple combined. This man will teach you how not to go to Epstein's Island. This man will teach you how to live without pornography. This man will teach you how to be loyal to your wife. This man will teach you how not to be a greedy little piglet. But you see, people have to humble themselves to come to him to be mentored. They would rather pay some life coach $1,000 an hour to flaunt about all the money they get, to tell them how to do some network marketing, than to take this young man out for coffee and say, man, tell me your story of how you came from test to testimony, a mess to a message. Tell me how God did it in you because I want him to do it in me. I've had people, this is my last rant, I'm telling you. I've had people say to me, I don't want this one. I don't want that one. I only want you. Then I tell them, you can have this one as we put you out the door. Because you have given me not a compliment. You have given me the worst insult. This is what you have said to me in other words. Joe, you stink at being a leader. You don't know how to multiply leaders. You're so incompetent at making leaders to imitate what you have done that I will only follow you. Do you understand how, how disrespectful that is to me? Oh, I only will go to you because you hold the mic for an hour. Did, you were, you know, what, an hour, 10 minutes. You can't think about it like that. A church is built up of leaders who have their own gifts, their own lives, their own families. And we all do our part. Certainly I have time to do my part. And they're making time to do theirs. But you want to know what raised me up to be a pastor? It was not other pastors. I didn't come from a pastor's home. I did not hang out with pastors. You know who raised me up to be a mighty man of God? It was brothers and sisters in the church like this. It was a man named Donald. And I've told you his story, and I'll probably tell it again and cry again, and I'm not faking my tears. I'm being honest. It was a man named Donald 
who lived with his handicapped wife in assisted living program that I met at an all-night prayer meeting because my high school friends went to church but were backslidden hypocrites, so I had to find other friends. It was this 60-year-old man that noticed me coming to all-night prayer meetings that said, why are you here, dude? There's only five of us and we're all over 50. Why are you here as a kid? I said, man, because I just got done selling drugs, wiling out. I don't know what to do at 2 in the morning with $100 of cash in my pocket anymore. Someone told me, you all pray here. After driving pizzas all night trying to do my life right, I heard about that prayer meeting. And when I showed up, there was no pastor. There was no big I. There was no mega anything. It was a dude named Donald that had himself the walking, the, the, the walker with his handicapped wife. I said, man, you want to come over to my house? You want to come be with me? I got time for you. That's the man I'm imitating. First ones to ever take me preaching were some wild Southerners that moved to Indiana that were putting a tent up everywhere. My youth pastor didn't have time for me. It was a who's who of the hypocrite zoo. This dude heard about me, man. His name was Jim. He said, you want to come preach with me? I said, I don't even know how. He said, I see something in you. Let's go. First time I preached, man, he handed me the mic. We were in a a small little place, but he said, today we're not doing the tent. We're going to public access TV. I still got my first sermon up. I came there dressed silly and funny. You got to watch it. It's a funny thing going on. But that was my first time, and then he took me to jails. He took me to rehabs. He took me to that tent. That's whose faith I'm imitating. You understand? Please, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to say they need more busy work. But what I'm saying is in closing today, if you want some leaders to imitate, pick somebody up here. You want somebody's marriage to imitate? Imitate somebody's marriage up here. You want somebody to encourage you on your job? Maybe you're like my brother here working long hours. He had to get up at 4 in the morning. All, man, man, follow this brother as he follows Jesus. Put up uh, Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 in closing. Is this my third closing? I'm still crying. Hallelujah. God have mercy on me. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You need this. I need this. And then don't come to me, please, I beg you. Don't come to me, they let you down. Well, they were not my Donald. I didn't say Donald didn't let me down. Of course he did. I didn't say that Jim didn't let me down. Of course he did. But he loved me. He cared about me. They're all going to let you down. We know that. We're all imperfect in that way. We don't go without mistakes. But the point is, does somebody still love you? Does somebody still pick up the phone? Does somebody still say, let's go lift some weights? Let's go do something to get your mind off what you got going on? Because it's those people that you got to follow into battle. Those are the people that you know, man, I can trust them. And if they have hurt you in a way that broke trust, I apologize. But we don't keep them as leaders. You tell us if they've broken their trust. You tell me if they do things to you that's wrong or they break their word. They won't be a leader here. We'll put them back in leadership training. 
But I say this lastly in closing, all these young men here and everything, I would have begged for a young dude like this. All you young ladies here today, I know my wife would have begged for a girl like this. You know that the woman that raised up my wife for a little bit when she was first getting saved cheated on her husband with a woman and left the man and became a full-fledged lesbian? That's one of my wife's first leaders. The second one dropped out of ministry about five years ago and now sells real estate with her husband who was also a pastor. Man, we've been let down. I'll tell you that. But if I knew that there was a woman like this for my wife back in the day when my wife was saying, I'm 22. How old were you got married? 22? 22 years old. I would have loved for somebody like that to spend time with her. All these churches trying to take your money, get your conference. Tell me how many are guaranteeing you a leader to follow today. Tell me how many gyms give the training for free. This is your spot, people. Please grow up in the things of God. Go hard for Jesus. And don't look at the age difference. Well, I'm older than this guy or, or this one or that one. Because before you know it, you're going to be looking for an identical mirror of you. That's oftentimes who God is not going to use. God's going to use the one that's going to challenge you and cause you to grow. Donald wasn't the cool, hip, young adult, man, that I was trying to be around at that time. He wasn't the kid coming off drugs like me. No, man, those guys got me into more trouble than anything else. I wondered if they were ever even saved. I needed a 60-year-old dude with a walker living in assistant. That's the guy I needed because he humbled me, man. He showed me what Jesus looked like. I wasn't in it for the hype. I was in it for Jesus, amen? And let me just say this. Hope I don't cry again. But sometimes people think when I preach the way I do and that there's a swag about me, and you're like, you're a white boy from the suburbs. No, 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 you don't know my full story. God called me to New Orleans. I was pastored by black men that got served out of the side of buildings during the segregation south. And they taught me how to preach, a white boy. That's why when I go around Crystal Lake or where I live out in Elgin, I don't fit in with them. That's not my crowd. My crowd is here. My crowd is in the city. That's why TJ know it's hood certified. When I go out, it don't just work when I'm on the pulpit. They love me in the hood, right, except the drug dealer every now and then. I was out there in the hood the other day. I started singing. You all started putting up your phone and turning it towards me. That's just what you do. You don't just tell your, your message. you got to sing a song. I, I sing in the hood. I, I, man, that's just how I was raised in the ministry. But here's what I was thinking about. Like, what in the world were they having to overcome for me to be their leader? When the same South, the white people had oppressed them, now it's their pastor coming to them. Now I can understand why they didn't get me at first. It took me years to break through into the Calio Projects, the Melfamine, the Iberville, Third Ward, all of these places. And I didn't care. You know why I didn't care? Because Jesus had loved me as a sinner. And he went that extra distance for me. So for some of you are like, well, being a leader is hard. People don't always understand us. They don't get us. Yeah, I, I've been rejected in the hood for about three years. I was scared to live in my own house on Clark, right off of Canal Street in the third ward. I lived in an all-black community, pastoring an all-black church. That doesn't make sense in the natural. Why not call this one to go? Why not call this? I would always ask myself, God, why don't you call me to Malibu? <laughs> God, why am I not in Malibu? This is me. This is my car. I did hang out with some dudes from the hood when I was in high school, but it was like, this is, I'm not even close to this. You heard? I'm not even close to this, y'all. And I'm like here, and this is what God told me. Leaders lead. If you can lead, 
you lead now here. And when I went into the projects and we started to preach, the color barrier went away. The he don't know my story went away. Or somebody who looked like him told my dad he couldn't be in the bus or get out the food out the, the front door. What they heard was the gospel of Jesus Christ. What they saw was somebody that loved them. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care is stamped in my heart. That's why in that place where I started that church, I started having all of these different African-American kids and all these different moms and dads started coming, and they started trusting me with their lives. It was no longer, that white boy's your pastor. Man, he, what is wrong with him? He looked crazy. It wasn't about that anymore. It was, that's my pastor because Bishop so-and-so don't ever answer the phone, don't ever do anything for us, but this guy got a CDL that he could drive the bus and pick up our kids. I trust that one right there. I got a CD. I'm not trying to boast, but in the Lord, I'm just saying, follow my example as I follow Christ. I got a CDL driver's license so I could drive a bus in the hood. Have you ever even conceived of such a thing? If you would have asked me a year before that, Joe, where do you see yourself in a year? I didn't see myself in the Iberville projects driving a bus. But if you want to ask me, What are some of my best memories as being a pastor? It was driving that bus because I learned what ministry was about. They didn't follow me on that bus because I had a big church. I was starting one from my house. I had nothing to give them except what was being given to me. I would ask people to raise money, to get money, and I would give it out to them. But they got on that bus right at that stop because they said when he gets done, He's going to tell us how much Jesus loves us and how much he loves us and how we can change this city together. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Somebody make a sacrifice for somebody in this community today. Somebody go out of your way. Touch somebody's heart for Jesus. Somebody cross cultural barriers for Jesus. Somebody go like my dad to um, Arby's and wait for that person to show up for a Bible study. Somebody be like TJ and start a school club. And even though they make fun of you and call you lame, you know Jason and others, he was sitting right here in that first service. Uh, they're going to get saved. Somebody be like a Cynthia, who when others were at our church, when she first joined, was the mama Puerto Rican right there. She's the real one. She had to make a decision. Either I look for a church where there's all older women that are Puerto Rican, or I trust this pastor and that we can do something for God. Now all the abuelas and mamas have to, have to look up to her. Even before Iris came, even before our sister came, it start, had to start with our one sister, Ro, our, our one sister Cynthia. Do you know, where, you know where Armana Rosa came? Do you know why this woman even comes to this church? Because when Monica was a little girl, we would share, my little church would share this building with her bigger Latino church. And she would see us out there witnessing to her people while her own church would stay inside. And she would say in her voice, Oh, Pastor, why don't we go reach the people? <laughs> I'm sorry, I love her so much. And I don't know what her pastor would say, but it wasn't. And so when that church kept getting smaller and smaller, once again, in my words for her, she said, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep reaching the people. 
This sister right here has probably reached more people one-on-one than anybody in this entire church. And she was sitting. She was sitting as a diamond, a diamond in a church. And a pastor did not care enough to unearth that diamond to let it shine. But when you came to me, you were precious. To me, you were a sign that we could reach this community together. Amen. That it didn't matter if I was a white boy from the suburbs of Indiana or you were someone from Guatemala. It didn't matter. We would stand together and we would reach whoever comes through those doors for Jesus. Amen. Thank you for your service to the Lord. I follow her example. Hannah, you come stand next to her. This is who you need to follow. Pray for my daughter, Hannah. She's a tough one. I had a sister from Guyana, South America, raise me up in Bible college. That's why I believe in women preachers. If she's not a preacher, then I don't know what one is. But I'll tell you what she did for me. Her humility broke my pride. As a young lady, this is the kind of woman you need to have in your life to break down that youthful pride and zeal, but to turn it towards God. Can we all stand up today? Amen. I'll assign my children to follow these leaders. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you today for this service. I pray that whatever was from your word will now burn in our hearts. Whatever was mere emotion would be forgotten. But God, whatever is to be learned and to be gotten from this, God, who will go so deep will never be the same again. I pray that my tears, God, will not be in vain, but they will help encourage others, God, because it's not just emotion, it's your word burning in my heart that leaders would make leaders. Lord, I pray for a church that steps up to the plate to leave it all on the field, oh God, to impact a world for you. With everybody in attitude of prayer, if you don't know Jesus, would you call on him now? He's here to save you. He loves you. He believes that you, he knows that you can do it. If you'll just believe, you'll make it. Just call on his name. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Lord of my life. Save me. I repent of my sins. For the rest of us who are already saved, would you raise up your hands and say, make me a leader that leads. Come on, make me a leader that leads. It doesn't matter what your story has been. It doesn't matter where you've gone wrong. Come back right now to your path of leadership. Start where you're at, wherever you're going in life. Take Jesus with you. Let him lead. Let him go. Let him tell you where to go as you lead others now. Come on, as you're asking God to to make you a leader, pray for five people in your life you can lead right now. If you need prayer, you're more than welcome to come forward right now and start to find some of these leaders. But come on, ask God to help you. Lord, help me to lead this church. Help me to lead my wife. Help me to lead my kids. Help me to lead my neighbors. Help me to lead my friends. I want to be a leader, Jesus. I just don't want to sit on the sidelines, oh God. 
Come on, who needs help in their marriage? Come on up. Who needs help in their dating relationship? Come on up. Who needs, as a young person, courage to live for God no matter what you face? Jesus. Make us leaders that lead, God. I pray, I pray for a special grace on everyone that's up here even right now. Cindy, would you join them up there in case there's more women that need some encouragement? Thank you. Cindy's an amazing leader. Father, I thank you that you've got leaders up here praying now. But Lord, I pray for all of us to be leaders to this community. A few moments before we dismiss, saints, anyone have a call of God to be a leader, to want to make a difference, to open up your home to have a Bible study, to go hard for Jesus. Lord, help us. We only have one life to live. We're going to live giving it to Jesus. We only have one life to live. We're going to live giving it to Jesus. We will not be discouraged. We will not give up. It doesn't matter who lets us down. It doesn't matter the problems that we've had. We will see God come through in the name of Jesus. We will see leaders raise up. We will see families grow stronger. We will take them under our wing. We will encourage them. Hallelujah. A few more moments right now, then we'll dismiss formally. But let's not be in a hurry, saints. I feel something special in this service. I don't think it's just emotion. I think it's the Holy Spirit. He's teaching us. We've got to follow Jesus and see others follow with us. We can't just go the same ways we've been going. We've got to take new paths. In the name of Jesus, Lord, renovate us. Remake us into your leaders. And then send us in this world, God, to do what we've never done before. In the name of Jesus, I hear the sound of revival. I hear the sound of second and third chances. I hear the sound of God raising up leaders that transform a city. I'm going to pray our prayer dismissal now. Thank you for your patience. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this message. I pray that it will ingrain in our hearts and will leave out of your change. And it won't be just something we talk about. It's something we do. We will adopt blocks. We will have Bible studies on our jobs. We will be mentors and leaders to apprentices and mentees. Lord, we'll bring marriages and families to our homes and be hospitable. And we will change this world as you build your church in us and through us. And the gates of hell will not prevail in Jesus' name. And all